and uh, we've been looking at this series about psalms of thanks, different psalms that have to do with thanksgiving, and um, so far we've already uh, covered about his steadfast love. Uh, we looked about um, having hope in God is what David wrote in Psalm 42. And this morning, uh, we're going to look at this psalm, uh, Psalm 23, as being a psalm of thanks and see how this applies to our life and how we can be thankful to the Lord. And, you know, I hope these have been an encouragement to you and a blessing to you because we definitely do have a lot to be thankful for as, as people. And as we look at this psalm, I think we can see God's provision and blessing in our lives from this psalm. And see, the purpose of these psalms is not to get us to be thankful, but for us to see that our thankfulness should be directed to the Lord. Because we can all be thankful. I mean, I remember growing up in in elementary school, you know, you'd go around and the teacher would say, okay, what are you thankful for? And, you know, you'd say, oh, I'm thankful for mommy and daddy, or I'm thankful for my toy, or I'm thankful for this or that. But... There's a difference just being thankful, but then actually directing that thankfulness to God. And that's what the, that's what the issue here is, is that our thankfulness should be directed towards God. Because everything that we have, every breath that we possess, um, every dollar that slips through our fingers, and every material and spiritual blessing that we have comes from the Lord. Everything. So I don't know where you are today on the level of thankfulness in your life, but I challenge you this morning to direct your thankfulness to the Lord, is what we'll see here, even in Psalm 23. And you know, this Psalm 23, it's it's comforted more griefs than than anything else that is in the world. Um, It has been in prisons, it's been in the jails, it's been in the hospitals. It has given hope to the poor and to the rich. It has been it has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has given health and consolation into the heart of the sick, of captives in prisons, of widows in their grief, um, of the abandoned in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Um, it has been read at countless funerals and memorial services. Millions of people have memorized this psalm. Ministers have used it to comfort people who are going through severe personal experiences in their life. Um, what is this attraction to this psalm? Why, why are we attracted more to this psalm than any other psalm in, in God's word? I mean, why not Psalm 22 that talks about Christ being abandoned. Why not Psalm 22 that talks about Christ being afflicted and is going to die? Why Psalm 23? Why is this one more important than Psalm 22? I believe as we go through this psalm, you'll see that it's not so much the phrases that draw us to the psalm, but the shepherd and finding absolute fulfillment in him. So let's look at this psalm here as uh, we read it here in Psalm 23 is what it says. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 5 and 6 says this. He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, as David writes this psalm, I believe this was later in his life, and he was reminiscing back when he used to be a shepherd. He was thinking about, I think this is a time when he was a king, and he was thinking about the times maybe that he spent out on the pastures, maybe the time that he spent the long, cold nights out there with the sheep. I mean, being a shepherd was was no easy job. And even at that, it wasn't a glorious job. It was usually given to those that were of the least. And you can think of David as being a young man of 17 years old, being out there with the sheep as a shepherd. And as he's thinking about the Lord, he's thinking about what God had done in his own life. And you know, we know that David was a man after God's own heart. We know that because of what he wrote about God. I mean, the whole, all of Psalms is a journal filled with the thoughts about what he thought about God. And you read that and it just, it just flows from his heart about, about his thoughts about God and what God does in his life and how God moves in his life and how he exalts the Lord. And so this is a time David's reminiscing, thinking about life as a shepherd. And he says specifically that the Lord is my shepherd. You see, this idea that the Lord is our shepherd is not only recorded for us in this psalm. It begins actually in Genesis 49, verse 24, where Moses called the Lord, the shepherd, the stone of Israel. In Psalm 28, 9, David invited the Lord to shepherd the people of Israel and to bear them up forever. In Psalm 80, verse number 1, it tells us that the Lord, as the shepherd of Israel, who looks, and he says that he would lead Joseph like a flock... Ecclesiastes 12.11 speaks of the words of the wise, which are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. Isaiah 40.11 tells us that the Lord will feed his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs with his arm. Micah 7.14 invites the Lord to shepherd your people with your staff as in the days of old. And Zechariah 13, 7 speaks of the Messiah as the shepherd who will be struck and the sheep will be scattered. Later on, it's quoted in Matthew 26, 31, when Jesus says that this night you will all, you will all leave me. You will all wander away because the shepherd's going to be struck. In John chapter 10 and John uh, verse number 11 and verse number 14, Jesus clearly spoke of himself as the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep and who can say, I know my sheep and am known by my own. In Hebrews 13, 20 speaks of Jesus as that great shepherd of the sheep. In 1 Peter 2.25 calls Jesus the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And 1 Peter 5.4 calls Jesus the chief shepherd. So when we think about Psalm 23 and we read those words, the Lord is my shepherd, this was not something that was, you know, kind of foreign or something that was new. I mean, this had been something that has been clearly laid out through all of Scripture that the Lord is our shepherd. 
I want to think about a couple things about this when we think about that the Lord is our shepherd. First of all, why we need a shepherd. Why we need a shepherd. Well, look what David writes here. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, I believe David here was thinking about a time as he was, when he was a shepherd. He's thinking about this former occupation that he used to have. And David obviously thought of the Lord as a shepherd. You see, all of us need to be shepherded. Why? Why do we need a shepherd? Because we are all following something in our life. Isaiah 53, 6 clearly states this. It speaks of it this way, that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, speaking of Jesus, the iniquity of us all. You see, interesting that God would call us sheep. Why? Why not a wolf? Why not a lion? Why not some interesting, some other interesting animal like a liger? Say, what's a liger? That's a lion and a tiger that's mixed, right? But why does God call us sheep? As far as I know, sheep are the most intelligent, fearless, and motivated animals. No, that's not true. They are dumb, directionless, and defenseless. Now, I will admit, I'm not the world's foremost expert on sheep. I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up in the city. I wasn't around farm animals. The only time I saw animals was either on TV or at the, at the zoo. But those of you that have grown up around animals or grown up around sheep, you know that the sheep have some interesting characteristics about them. They are not survivors. They're not strong and independent creatures. They're not proud hunters or fierce predators. They're actually kind of pathetic, entirely dependent upon a shepherd. This is actually a real news story from Turkey. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths this week while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell about 50 feet to their deaths in a ravine in Van province near Iran, but broke the fall of another 1,100 animals who survived. Shepherds, shepherds from a nearby village neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. The loss to local farmers was estimated at $74,000. So you think about this, one sheep wanders off, and he goes over here to a cliff, and whoa! And what do the other sheep do? Whoa! One right after the other. So eventually, it tells us that 1,100 sheep, okay... So 1,500 sheep, 400 sheep, they plunge to their deaths, and eventually, there's all these sheep piled up, and eventually the other sheep that are falling off, they're just landing like on a giant blanket, you know, it's breaking their fall. And we think about that, and God actually calls us sheep. Make the application in your own life. All we like sheep have Turned. We've turned to our own way. We've gone our own way, the Bible tells us. 
Sheep are prone to wander. Without a shepherd keeping watch of them, if he doesn't, they'll wander off and be lost. Sheep are defenseless, left to themselves. Sheep will not and cannot last very long. If you put a sheep in the wild, what's it going to do? Eventually, it's going to become prey. It's not going to bare its teeth. It's not going to run after the other animal and try to defend itself. Sheep can't fight. They can't run away and they can't scare away. So what does a sheep do when it's in danger? It can't do anything. And that's what God says about us, that we are sheep. They just panic, just hoping that the prey, the predator there will, will, will get somebody else. You see, when God says that we are sheep who need a shepherd, he doesn't mean it as a compliment to us. It is just a very realistic assessment of who we are and what we need. You see, we are sheep who are completely dependent upon a shepherd. Specifically here, David writes this. Look what he says. The Lord is our shepherd, and he does what for us? He says, I shall not want. What does it mean, I shall not want? You see, this is being utterly satisfied with its owner. Utterly contented in the good shepherd's care for us. It's not craving or desiring anything more in our lives. You see, we need a shepherd because we need to be content in God. I shall not want means all my needs are supplied by the Lord, my shepherd. I shall not want means I decide to not desire more than what the Lord, my shepherd, gives me. You see, so many people are not content in this world. They're running after other things. They're looking after other things. And they're not content with what God has given them. And that's what David writes here. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, because I'm that sheep that is prone to wander and fall off the cliff. I'm that sheep that's prone to drift away. He says, my shepherd gives me what I need in my life. And I'm content with what the Lord has given me. Does this describe your life? Always after something else, except finding rest and contentment in Jesus Christ. You see, happiness is not what is not having what you want, but wanting what you have. Do you desire God as your shepherd? Secondly, look what he says here. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But he says here, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. What does David mean by this about lying down in green pastures? You see, sheep do not lie down easily. We find if you read about sheep and find out what they do, you see, they will not lie down until four conditions are met in their life. Because they are timid, they will not lie down. And if they are afraid... Because sheep are social animals, if they have problems, if there's, if there's unrest with the other sheep, they will not lie down. They're not content. If there is friction among the sheep, they won't lie down. If flies and parasites are troubling them, they will not lie down. And if sheep are anxious, they will not lie down. 
You see, rest comes because the shepherd cares for his sheep and he meets all of those needs. And he helps them. He deals with their fear. He deals with their friction. He deals with their flies and also their famine. The shepherd takes care of all of those things and helps them lie down because the sheep are at, are at unrest. You see, green pastures did not just happen by accident. A good shepherd knows how to clear the ground out of the way. And he would specifically look for area where he could move the rocks out of the way and clear it of all of its problems and lead the sheep to that area where they can lie down. You see, Psalm 23 is a constant reminder that our Lord wants to take away our fear and our disharmony so that we would find the inner peace that we have been looking for in our lives. Look at this other thing David says here. He says that he writes that the shepherd leads him beside still waters. Why still waters? Why not raging, flowing, gushing waters? Well, because sheep are timid, they get afraid. Did you know you could actually scare a sheep to death? It happens. They can get so scared that they'll just fall over dead. And God says here that he will lead them by the still waters. We find out that sheep are actually made up of about 70% of water. You see, without a clean water source, sheep become restless and dehydrated. As well, sheep will not drink from fast-flowing, moving water. It has to be still because they get scared so easily. And see, the Bible tells us here, the Lord our shepherd desires to fill us, each of us, with calmness and stillness in our lives, with living water that can quench our deepest need. So is your desire towards the shepherd. Look what he says here also. See, when we come here to the end of this declaration of what our shepherd does, it says that he restores our soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. How much the shepherd is needed in the life of the sheep. And so true, how much the Lord is needed in our life as we as sheep need the Lord. You see, sheep are prone to wander and drift. And David makes reference to this as a shepherd that restores our soul. You see, the tender care of the shepherd described in the previous verse had its intended effect. Because here he is... Being led by still waters. Well, how did he get to that still water? Because he restored his soul. You see, David's soul was restored by the green pastures and still waters that the shepherd brought him to. You see, when we think of something being restored, we think of something that's being brought back to like new, pristine condition. If you ever go to, uh, uh, me and Don went over to, how many of you have ever been to Auburn? Over there? Okay. They got some beautiful cars over there. I mean, and you know that this vehicle might have been sitting in some guy's barn for years and probably had chickens living in it or something like that. And that guy takes that piece of metal and he pounds on it and he works on it. He throws hundreds of thousands of dollars in it. And then, wow! It's been restored to like new condition. The Bible here says that the Lord restores... Our soul. You see, when I think of this, I think of repentance. 
You see that as I am prone to wander, it is what that calls me back to the shepherd. It is none other than the word of God. You see, the word of God shows me where I have drifted away from the shepherd. And it kindly calls me back to him. And as I turn my heart back to the Lord and I turn my heart back to the shepherd, my heart, my life, my soul is restored back to where it needs to be. You see, this is his constant presence and his redeeming grace in all of our lives. Many times sheep can fall on their back. You know what happens when a sheep falls on its back? It becomes prey. I mean, think of this. I mean, this is a stuffed animal sheep. But I mean, if this guy was real, he'd probably be a lot bigger than this. But if a sheep falls on its back, it can't get back up. And if, there's, if there is prey around, it becomes an easy target. And you know what the shepherd does? Picks us back up. He sets us back up on our feet. He restores our soul is what the Bible says. And so as we as sheep, as we're wandering around, we're prone to wander. We're prone to leave God, leave the, leave the care and the fold of God. And sometimes we fall. And if the shepherd, he comes and he picks us back up, he restores us back to where we need to be. And David's reminiscing about this, thinking of maybe the sheep that he had in his care, of all the times that he had to go and pick up those stupid sheep that fell on their back. And he's going, what are you doing over here? I'm bringing you over here to all this green grass and these still waters, and there you go. What are you doing? And he's trying to lead them back to where they need to go. How exactly does he restore our soul? Look what he says. By leading me in paths of righteousness. What is the standard of righteousness? Jesus Christ, absolutely. And see, I find that as I examine my heart and my life... And I look at it compared to the standard of righteousness that Jesus has. I fall way short of that. I miss the mark. So what must I do? I must bring myself back to the standard of which God has set. And that is the word of God. You see, when we are shown the error of our way through the word of God, we have a decision to make, either to obey or to disobey. You see, he does this through his name, the Lord. It's not on our own merit. And so we as sheep must always be coming back to the shepherd, coming back to the word of God, and make that the standard of which we live our life. Why? Because all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned his own way. The Bible says that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof is the way of death. And so we have to be constantly be going back to the word of God. I want to show you a second thing about this. So not only why do we need a sheep. But look at this. Following the shepherd. See we now come to these last three verses of this psalm. And it's probably no accident that the psalm begins in green pastures and it ends here 
dwelling in the house for the Lord. But notice what is in the middle of that. The valley of the shadow of death. You see, we learned that when shepherds lead their sheep, the only way to the mountainous green pastures is actually through the dangerous mountainous valleys where wolves and coyotes are hiding, waiting for their next victim. But rest assured, our shepherd, the Lord, is a warrior who will fight for his sheep, who will go after the one that has wandered away and leave the ninety and nine. He is a warrior that protects his sheep. Why? Because he's a good shepherd. And he cares for his sheep. He loves his sheep. You see, we don't have to fear because he is with us. Notice what he uses for protection here. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because you are with me. And what does he have with him? He says, your rod and your staff. Now, this is actually a pool cue. I couldn't really find any other type of rod, but this would work. And this I actually stole from uh, one of the shepherds downstairs. Um, So I'll give it back to him so he can use it for Christmas time. But anyways, he says that he has a rod and he has a staff. These two tools are the things that the shepherd uses. And what does he use these for? One of them he uses to defend his sheep, and that's the rod. And so he uses this rod to fight off those wolves to get them out of the way. He uses it to defend the sheep. And so if the shepherd is, he's leading a flock of sheep, he may see a prey coming, may see this, this predator coming to attack the sheep as prey, and he has his rod. And he's going to what? He's going to step in the way. He's going to give his life for the sheep because he's protecting them. And he has a rod, and he's going to defend off those wild animals to protect them. But it tells us here, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because your rod and your staff, notice this, they comfort me. You see, not only do the shepherds use the rod to fight off other animals... But they also use the rod to reprimand unruly sheep. Because, see, sheep can be kind of unruly at times. They tend to like to butt heads with other sheep or get in the way or step on other sheep. They sometimes make a mess out of other people's lives. And what does a shepherd do? He uses a rod to reprimand them. Not to beat them, but to correct them. And see... God himself uses the word of God to correct us. He leads us, and it's the word of God is what reprimands us. It's the word of God which gives us comfort in our lives. Because we as sheep, who are dumb, defenseless, we as sheep like to do our own thing. And God says, I'm going to have to use a rod to correct you. I'm going to have to use a rod to help you. You know what else is interesting about a rod that a shepherd uses? He uses it to find things that are in the sheep. He will use it to spread apart their coat, to find parasites or find things that are bothering the sheep. And he uses that and he inspects it and he's able to remove those things so that the sheep can have comfort. 
And so God uses a rod in our lives to help us and to comfort us in our life. A second essential piece of the shepherding equipment is his staff. So not only does he have the rod, but he has the staff. Now, the staff is an interesting thing here because he can use it if he's, if he's getting weary. He can use it to, to rest on. But also, he uses his staff to bring a sheep closer to himself. He may bring the sheep closer to its other uh, fellow sheep. If a sheep falls in the water, ah, I fell in the water, help me, help me, help me. He's able to use the crook of that that rod and lift it out of the water. So the shepherd's equipment is very useful. And David says that the Lord's rod and his staff is what comforts him when he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. As he's on his way to those greener pastures, he's going through some very dangerous area. Maybe the sheep are getting a little scared and, and they're, they're, they're getting frantic because, oh no, it's a little bit more narrow here. Oh, it's really rocky here. What are we going to do? And the shepherd's just trying to corral them, trying to lead them, trying to help them. Maybe one sheep is having an issue with another sheep. And the Lord brings his rod and he says, okay, we need to help this. We need to correct this. And he tries to get them because where is he leading them? He's leading them to greener pastures in his life. And so he's trying to help them and shepherd them in the right direction. And so David writes that his rod and his staff comfort him. You see, sheep regularly see the shepherd use the rod and the staff to protect, to guide, to lead, and to get them out of jams in their life. They're familiar with the care he provides and learn to depend on him for their safety. You see, the question really is, is shouldn't you and I believe that the master shepherd has the same compassion for what happens to us and is ready to defend or to teach us freely? We should. That's why I say that all the things that come in our life is not just to be thankful, but we should be satisfied in God because that's what David wrote here. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because everything that the Lord gives me, whether it's still waters or green pastures or rescuing me or helping me or correcting me, Everything that God has given me, I need to be satisfied in him, to be satisfied in the shepherd. You see, God, he majors on compassion and patience. And after his sheep wander in darkness, they learn to find more light or more of him, and they stumble less and less. Look at verse number five. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now briefly here, look at this. We see now as the shepherd as a host. And look what he's doing. He spreads a banquet for his guests. He anoints his head with oil. This is a, this is a festive type thing to be a, have your head anointed with oil. And he keeps his cup filled to the brim. Have you ever been at a restaurant before? Uh, my father-in-law does this. Don't tell him I told you this, by the way. Um, but my, what he does is if we're at a restaurant, he likes to have his drink filled constantly. And if it's not filled, he'll get it. He'll stir around the ice. and 
Well, the Bible here tells us that the Lord keeps our cup continually filled. There's a satisfaction that is found in that. And we find here that David, as he writes this, he talks about this, and he says, look at this. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, the reference here to the enemies may mean either that they are held at a distance, or they can't interfere with the guest's security. Or it may mean that David has just had some victory and the prisoners now must look on in regret. But whatever the meaning is, is the Bible says that it's the Lord that prepares this table. It's the Lord that serves as a host. And it's the Lord that keeps his cup filled to the brim. It's the Lord that's anointing his head with oil. You see, again, we have to be careful. We don't isolate this verse here in the psalm and make it the norm of all life. Because in reality, is all of life banquets and parties? No, it's not. Sometimes life is dangerous. Sometimes life is depressing. Sometimes life is destructive. Sometimes life is broken. Sometimes life is a train wreck. But David here is saying, when I am in the presence of the Lord, he prepares this table before me. He, he anoints my head with oil. There's a great festivity and he keeps my, keeps my cup filled to the brim. You see, the point of verse 5 is not that life is a big party, but there are those festive times in our lives that we should recognize them as gifts of God and signs of his ultimate intention for us. Notice here, lastly here in verse number 6. Notice what David does to wrap all this up. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this verse here is a conclusion of David's uh, life as he passed from the green pastures of life. He goes through the valley of the shadow of death. And now he's in actually dwelling in the house of the Lord, in the Lord's presence. And notice what he says here. He's passed through all of this. And notice this word here. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall what? Follow me. Now, don't let that word follow get by you so quickly. I remember growing up. How many of you have an older brother or older sister? Okay. All right. I'm sure this is true in all of older uh, kids' lives and stuff like that. But as a younger brother to my older brother, uh, he's two years older than me. I always wanted to be around my bigger brother. Why? Because he's cool. I mean, look what he does. He's got cooler clothes than I do, or he's got cooler this, or he can do that, or and I can't do that. He's got better friends than I do. And so you always want to be around your brother. And I remember growing up that I would always be interfering with my brother and his friends. I was always there. And it was like, get away from me, get away from me, get away from me. And my brother would be going to the store. Here I'd be like, don't leave me, I'm coming. Right? And you're trying to follow him. And then my brother would be like telling his friends like, okay, all right, on the count of three, we're going to ditch him. Ready? One, two, three. And then they like take off. You know? And the idea was that I was always following behind my brother. But the idea here, that word follow is not meaning trailing close behind. The idea is the, is the fact of pursuing. Okay? So if you think about that, surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. 
Now, when I think of pursue, the thing that I think of most of is um, a police officer. How many of you ever been pulled over before? Okay, I expect to see you in my office tomorrow. No, I'm just kidding. Um, when you think of pursuing, or if you ever watch, uh, you know, these people that are running away from the law, you know, here's like all these cops, are, they're following, they're pursuing after them, okay? That's the idea. Imagine here, just for a moment, let's just say you're driving down the highway, okay? You're driving, and you see lights in the, in the rearview mirror. You go, oh man, what did I do? I look in the speed limit, I'm not speeding, I didn't do anything. And the police officer is, is gaining closer and closer and closer. He's pursuing after you. And you're like, well, I don't know if he's after me. So you just step on the gas a little bit. Okay. And you're looking and other people are pulling over, but he's not pulling them over. And you're like, oh, man, your heart kind of sinks. You're like, I don't know. What did I do? What did I do? And eventually you pull over. So you get pulled over. The police officer comes up to you and your, your heart's racing because you don't know what you've done. And you're like, uh, uh, yes, officer, hi. Uh, 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 uh. Have you ever noticed when you get pulled over, you can't even talk straight? What is up with that? They're just a person. I mean, come on. So anyways, they pull you over. You're talking with them. And the police officer says, uh, yes, sir. He says, I, I had to come after you because you left your wallet at the motel that you were just staying at. And the person told me that you left your wallet here. And you're like, oh, oh okay. All right. Well, thank you. But then he says, but then also they wanted me to tell you that that, uh, that uh, thing that you registered for, the, uh, uh, the giveaway, you won. And they want you to come back and you want a, a, a four-night stay in Paris. Wow! And so the police officer says, why don't you come with me? And you're like, come with you? Yeah. So he puts you in his police car and you're thinking, boy, this is weird. And instead of taking you back to the motel, he actually drives you through the country and he takes you to this beautiful property with giant oak trees that are all overgrown and a beautiful, gorgeous, I mean, magnificent, beautiful mansion out there. And he says, oh, by the way, um, this is yours too. And I want you to live here. Now, I know that story seems a little far-fetched, okay? But that's the idea here, what David is saying here. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. They will pursue after me. I mean, you think of everything that's good in your life. Would it be cool to win a four-night stay to Paris? Yeah, that'd be good, right? I mean, would it be cool to be able to, to live in a giant, huge mansion all the days? Yeah, that would be great. But the Bible says that goodness and mercy will pursue after me all the days of my life. I want you to think about this. See, the problem with that story is that it focuses too much on the house and the grounds. It focuses much on the winning a, a, a trip to Paris. But see, but David's great love is for who? The Lord himself. Having goodness and mercy pursuing after him is just kind of like a perk. David says, my true thankfulness, my love is to the Lord. It's not necessarily what he gives me. You see, David would consider it the height of fulfillment to dwell in God's house, even if it were a small apartment in downtown Gary, Indiana. I've never been to Gary, Indiana, but I heard it's really bad. 
But David said, I would be content even if it was that. Why? Because I get to dwell with the Lord himself. So see, what counts as being with God? That is what we are to be thankful for. He says in Psalm 27, 4, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You see, David didn't ask for all these other things that we try to ask for. He just wanted to dwell with the Lord. He just wanted to be with God. So the whole psalm leads me to God himself as the fulfillment of all my longings. You see, to love the green pastures, but not the good shepherd, is missing out on the fulfillment of your life. To love the lavish banquet and uh, not to love the shepherd who is our host is to miss out on the true contentment that only comes from God. And to love the trip to Paris or the house but not to love the Lord who is our shepherd who pursues after us is to miss out on the true delight and pleasure of God. So can I ask you this morning, is the Lord your shepherd? Do you desire him more than what he gives you or doesn't give you. To say that God is our shepherd and we are sheep is basically to humble ourselves. Admitting what is true about us and to elevate God in our life. You see, declaring what is true of him. When you say that the Lord is my shepherd, you are saying something that ought to move your heart to praise and gratitude to the Lord. To declare that God, if you're, is your shepherd, is to praise and glorify him. Because God, the shepherd, stoops down to care for lost, poor, helpless, not so smart sheep like you and me. So is the Lord your shepherd? Is your whole fulfillment in him and him alone? Is your gratitude and your heart of thankfulness directed towards him? Or is it the green pastures, the still waters, the rod and the staff, the banquet, the goodness and the mercy? Or is it plainly and only the shepherd? Let's pray.